Welcome to Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, presented by ChangeUp. I'm Matt Satilli, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Owen Shadrick. Owen, it's great to see you today. We have a great episode on hand with Matt Gedman, the manager of the Pittsfield Suns. It's our 30th episode overall and our first with a member of the Pittsfield organization. So really excited to bring this one to you guys today. Yeah, I'm excited too. You know, it only took 30 episodes for us to get a Pittsfield member on, but with the Suns back in the league, why not? Yeah, we're really excited for 2021. And speaking of, this is our last episode release of 2020. The debut year of Back to the Futures was a roaring success by our standards. We've had a ton of fun with it. And we're so excited to keep bringing you guys content in 2021. So, Owen, what was your favorite part of 2020? A down year for most, but in terms of the Futures League, a year with a lot of positives. I mean, the most obvious one is the fact that we played an entire summer with zero positives. You know, we talked about it a lot on episode one with John Creedon, but I think that overall was the best part of the summer. And also having fans in Nashua for that championship game, it just, it meant the world to all of us here at the Futures League, and I'm sure to the fans as well. It was it was a fantastic summer and one that I'll never forget. Yeah, absolutely. ton of positives, great championship series. It was only the second one that went to a three games and was played to completion. I think you said it all. It was a fantastic year, and we're so excited to see what's in store for the league's 11th season. So what do you say? Want to bring the fans the interview with Matt Gedman at this point? Let's do it. All right, love it. Here you go, guys. Here's our interview with Pittsfield Suns manager, Matt Gedman. At this time, we now welcome on a very special guest. It is Matt Gedman, the manager for the Pittsfield Suns. Last season, he served as the assistant coach for the Brockton Rocks, and he is also the assistant coach for the Trinity College baseball program, as well as serving as the goalie coach for their hockey team. So, Matt, a man of many accomplishments, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Good, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. I've kind of been able to follow you guys through, um, you know, Twitter and, and uh, you know, the Futures League websites and stuff like that. So uh, with kind of a different year last year in the Futures, it's, you know, it's hopefully we'll have some, some normality to it. But it was good for, you know, the future just to get back on the field. So everything is going good. Yeah, and let's get right back into it. You just talked about getting back on the field. One team that's getting back on the field this summer is Pittsfield. What does it mean to have Pittsfield back in the Futures League for 2021? I mean, Pittsfield, it means a lot to the league, you know, I mean, it's a historic ballpark. It's, it's one of those trips out when, when the players from, you know, I mean, playing in Brockton and, and, and haven't seen the other side of it, you know, this past summer by coaching in Brockton, you know, you guys, guys moaning about going from Brockton to North Shore. And I'm like, it's an hour, it's an hour commute. You get back at 1030. You know I mean, we used to go to, you know, North Shore on, on a Thursday or Friday. And sometimes we wouldn't get back till, you know, one one thirty. So it's a grind for those guys all summer, but you kind of appreciate it. Um, seeing it from, you know, a new perspective. But in terms of Pittsfield getting back to the league, it's, like I said, it's, you know, I mean, it's one of the original original teams there. And, you know, the city's been been good to us. And, and they, they come on it. And 4th of July, you know, it wasn't the same this year, obviously because this league hadn't started. But, you know, 4th of July, the staple in, in Pittsfield is, is a parade. And, and then you got, you know, 5,500 people coming to games, filling up the beer garden, looping it around. So um, definitely miss that. And, uh, you know, it's kind of come like a second nature home to me in, in the summer. So it, it'll definitely be good to have them back. Yeah, we were really excited to welcome Pittsfield back into the league after sitting out last summer. And when did you hear about Pittsfield's decision to sit out last summer? And what was your reaction? Um, it was tough. First and foremost, you know, I just want to make sure everyone like the ownership group, you know, they were doing all right. Because, I mean, 
the gold clanks have been great to me over the years, especially Jeff and um, the relationship, you know, we've developed. So um, kind of just making sure they were good because they have, you know, they have six or seven teams throughout the country in, in different organizations. So um, it was disappointing. I talked to uh, Kristen Huss, who was, who was our former, you know, I mean, everyone knows her in the league. So talked to her. They were disappointed, but I was, you know, for me it was more looking for, for baseball again because our, our season got canceled after, you know, a 3-0 and start in the spring, and we were looking forward to that. And then so just the emotional roller coaster of it all, because originally I was going to go help out um, down in Harwich last summer with, with uh, Coach Englert, Steve Englert. Um, he's at Kansas State now with, uh, with Coach Hughes. So um, getting, having season get canceled, you know, for baseball, followed by the Cape getting canceled, followed by Pittsfield getting canceled. And then, you know, I was talking to Tom Tracy and, and Andy over in Brockton, and it kind of just fell into place. Yeah, we'll get to that and how you were able to stay in the Futures League last summer in a little bit. But first, talk to us about the team in general. What preparations have you guys already started making for next season? So the hardest part is, um, you know, I mean, we're in the process of, of making the roster and, and without having last year, you know, in the bags, where, you know, colleges kind of follow who's playing, what's going on. They start reaching out and um, like Tom Tracy and Brockton will tell you, um, their roster was almost completely full by August. You know, people come, have a really good experience, and they kind of want to come back, you know, you know, if they're not moving to the Cape or, or to a different league. So <clears throat> we definitely started a little late, but I still had the connections where people weren't really sure what I was doing. So people started reaching out to me about some stuff, and, you know, I talked to the higher-ups and said, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not hired here at the moment. Do you want me to start making these ro- this roster? Or, you know I mean, do you want me to push it off to somebody else? And so just relationships that, you know, I've developed throughout the years in terms of, you know, the Northeasterns, the, you know, I got the roster in down here because we don't have access to, you know, our office at, at Trinity right now. So, but I mean, just local schools and, and then schools from, you know, I mean, we got West Virginia kids this year, which we're excited about. Um, we got a couple of UNC Asheville guys and then, you know, a couple of JUCOs look down from, you know, Miami, Florida and, and kind of mixing it up and trying to develop new relationships, but, you know, sticking packed with, you know, the guys who have been good to us throughout the years, like, you know, I mean, the, the D3s around here, the, the Babsons, the Wheaton Colleges, and I don't want to forget people, so kind of stop it, stop it there. All right, fair enough. Now, as a college coach who's been around the game for a long time, how do you go about reaching players in programs like a West Virginia or like a UNC Asheville? Where's your first line of communication trying to get guys from bigger D1 schools and outside of the Northeast? So my original, uh, you know, connection that was really good to me was, was P. Hughes. With, um, you know, he was at Oklahoma at the time now. Then he went over to uh, University of Georgia as, as the volunteer assistant as a bridge year before he got the head job down at Kansas State. So um, I coached three of his boys. So first I had uh, Thomas, um, goes by Moss. So he, he was like a player coach in his own right. He was at Oklahoma. And then I took his son, Hal, who went to LSU. He's now at um, Rice, I believe. And then his last one, Dom, you know, little Tasmanian devil of the group. I had him, and he's at Kansas State now. And then even in the year when, when, when Pete was at Georgia, he sent me, you know, a first baseman for them, Pat Sullivan, who, who was awesome. Awesome kid, um, top-notch guy. And so every time he sent me people, and I'm sure, like, the word spread in terms of Futures League, they, they're allowed to get, you know, high school guys in or whatever it may be. So I think the word spread through the country. Vandy sent a ton of guys. Virginia sent a ton of guys to, I mean, the Brockton's, the Worcester's of the world, um, you know, the Nashua. So – kind of expanding where, where the word kind of gets out where these high school kids can show up. Like we had the two Oklahoma state guys, um, Bryce Osmond and, and Caden Trankel. And, and those kids were awesome. Um, you know, Friday night, opening night last year, Osmond was on the mountain, you know, starting for them. So <clears throat> the relationships develop and, and it kind of, you check back in with them and, and each, you know, big, big program kind of wants to get their guys in the league, but also has, 
as long as you take care of their guys and, you know, you're not, you know, wearing out their arms, you're not having the guy play, you know, 14 days in a row at shortstop. And, you know, I mean, as long as you show respect for them, they respect you too. And, and they'll trust you with their guys during the summer. Cause that's the big picture is, is what are these kids going to do for me in the spring? Um, are they going to be healthy when they get there? Are they going to develop? It's not, can he break the record, the Cal Ripken record for, you know, 56 games played in the summer. So I know you don't want to single out anyone or forget anyone, but is there one or two names that you can let the fans know or tell us about that you're looking forward to having with Pittsfield next summer? Ooh, can I play the, the boring card and just talk about returners? Absolutely. Uh, no, so just peeking at it, at it over here. I mean, the West Virginia kids are high school guys, uh, a couple from uh, New York, New Jersey. So um, their names are uh, Tyler Cox is a, is a center fielder. He play anywhere in the outfield, left-handed hitting bat. Um, and then a kid, David Hageman, he's a big, tall, lengthy right-handed pitcher. Um, supposed to be pretty good. A few other guys, I mean, local guys. We've got Jack Cooney coming back from Pittsfield. And then uh, one of my favorite guys in the league of all time, Chad Shade. You know, he's the burner. He hit 850 at home in, uh, his year with us and about 067 on the road. So he's Pittsfield's finest. Um, he really got it going, but he's going to Kansas State this year to finish out his, you know, his grad year. So I'm excited for him. And if he comes back, um, obviously put him on the staff with us. But a couple arms from Hartford, a couple local guys, uh, Ryan LaPierre and uh, Dan Cope. And then we have, you know, some St. Anselm guys. Uh, the shortstop there is pretty good. You don't know what it is until, it, you know what I mean, it kind of develops in, you know, in May or, or whatever it may be. So you, you get your hopes up or you look at stats or you look at previous things, you get excited about somebody, you know, you're down on somebody else and then kind of, you know, just shakes out. It's, I mean, you look at a, a freshman's number from, from, you know, a, a D1 school in, in New England and he's kind of, you know, a little raw. And um, we had a kid, Nate Florence, in one of my first years being the head coach. And I looked at his numbers. He was like one in six with a, a 70 RA at school. And I told him he was going to, he's going to start out of the bullpen. He looked at me like I had eight heads. And then I watched his first pitch, it was like 93. I mean, and by the end of the year, he was, you know, our number one or two. So things kind of shake out throughout the summer. So it's the cool thing about it is you kind of give everybody a fair shake. And, and then honestly, like your returners are the guys that you've developed good relationships with. And those are the guys, you, you honestly, you trust the most right away because you know who they are as kids. They'll be there on time. They're accountable. They're going to stay out of trouble. Um, and they're also pretty good players. So you kind of build off, off that building block and then kind of figure out your team from there. Yeah, again, we're certainly excited to see those guys take the field in 2021. But back to 2020, you mentioned it before, you were given an opportunity to continue coaching the summer as an assistant for Brockton. When did the team reach out to you about coaching for them this summer? I talked to Tom Tracy maybe – when did the season start? July 3rd or something like that? Right, so it was bumped back a full month. So I was just kind of hanging out. We are actually working a hockey camp in like the last two weeks of June um, in Connecticut. So – I uh, talked to Tom Tracy one night and we kind of like messed with the idea a little bit. And then he said the, the assistant they had there was, was asking for more. He couldn't do it or, or some opt out and asked me if I could come down. And the next issue became like housing, you know, wasn't it, what am I going to do? You know, I could stay, live with my parents' house, but you know, 31 years old. I'm, I'm not thrilled about the, that prospect. You know, I'm here in my childhood bedroom right now. So um, home for the holidays. But so, uh, so I talked to, you know, somebody else and it, it just became tough and, and they usually, you know, they take care of housing, which it was a little backed up because of, of COVID. And um, so Andy himself, you know, the head skipper was looking for housing. So, so we kind of talked back and forth a little bit and then it worked out that, you know, one of my best friends, Tom Conley, who's, you know, coached out in Pittsfield and, you know, he's almost a, he was a futures league lifer there for a little bit, four years as the head guy. He lives in Braintree with his wife. So I reached out to him, they had a spare bedroom. And then I told him I could do it. You know, he asked for a number. I didn't go crazy on him. And he said, 
Let's do it. And you just touched on Andy a little bit. What was it like coaching alongside him? Oh, pain in the ass, that guy, you know. It's, <laughs> um, I've known Andy throughout, you know, the, a couple years. And, um, you know, he started as the assistant in Brockton. And, you know, we kind of got to know each other through that. And then, obviously, when he became the head coach, the communication becomes more of, you know, what's your lineup. Andy and, and Dion and, and Worcester, they'll be, you know, they wake up at 7 somehow and ask me for my lineup. And, like, the game's at 7 o'clock tonight. So, you know, Dion's laying by his pool in Milford or Northborough, wherever he lives, and just filling out his lineup car with his shirt off. So he's back and forth. And then, you know, so I try to take care of those guys by the time I get, you know, 15 minutes from the field on our eight-hour bus ride to, to Brockton, make sure Andy has his lineup card. But, no, we've had a good relationship. So it's simple. You know, I, I understood I'm not one of those guys that comes in as having, you know, manager experience in, in Pittsfield and kind of, you know, I knew my, what my role was there. You know what I mean? I, I kind of enjoyed it almost in an aspect where I told the guys as a joke sometimes. I said, hey, if you're in the lineup, I talked Andy into putting you in there. If you're not, go talk to him. He's, he's being a prick, you know. So I enjoyed it. I was just a hitting guy. You know, I went to the cage when I got there before the game. The guys needed flips, um, you know, after BP, before the game, if they wanted to hit a little bit, we did that. So if Andy had any questions about my opinion on the lineup or anything like that, I was more than happy to give it to him, but at the end of the day, it was it was his team, and I kind of tried to stay out of the way. And um, I really enjoyed it in terms of the pay cut wasn't great, but I enjoyed the aspect of making relationships and, and not having to be the bad guy when you know someone's really scuffling and we're in a must-win game, and he's sitting his you know third or fourth game in a row. But Andy does a great job with the guys communication-wise. So for me, it was kind of just trying to be Robin to, to the big man's Batman. So, but I, I had a great experience there, and, and not to mention uh, Brandon Shalakis who has been my pitching coach and played in Pittsfield for the past three or four years, kind of worked pro bono, um, just, you know, kind of do something. He came up and, and he was great. So the staff we had there, it was, you know, four great guys. Yeah. Brandon's been one of our most active followers on social media. He's always showing the futures league some love. So shout out to him. Also quick follow-up. Did you and Andy give any thought to living together? And what do you think those living arrangements would have looked like if that had played out? And we probably wouldn't have liked each other, but I mean, we liked each other a lot, but um, so they get an apartment, you know, right down the road, but I had already at the point where I committed to, you know, staying with Tom and, and it was easy. And so they had, they had a single bedroom and they had a double in the apartment complex that they ended up renting from. And we had a kid, Brian Ruby came up who, um, you know, was, was close with, with the owner, Chris. So he moved into the single and then Andy was in the double waiting for me to come. And then Andy had the idea that, you know, why don't uh, you move in with Ruby and I'll just go to the single. I said, you guys both have a single. I'm just going to, you know, sleep in, in the guest room at, at Tom Conley's house, get my, my morning coffee and, and walk my half mile for the day around, around the Braintree Center. So it would have been fine. I think we're, we're similar guys. You know, he might have had like an empty wine glass the next morning. That would be mad at him for picking up and I'd have a couple, you know, Bush Light beer cans on the ground. So, um, <laughs> We'd be fine, though. I mean, I mean, similar personality guys, baseball guys, you know, probably talk shop a little bit. Our bank accounts probably go, you know, to dinner, stay a little too late and, um, you know, just talk baseball. But um, it would have been fine. Yeah, so Andy was a former podcast guest, but you also had the opportunity to watch Nick Senecola, another former podcast guest, pitch every day. What was it like watching him deal and earn Pitcher of the Year after a fantastic campaign in 2020? I mean, talk about uh, first-class kids. Um, I mean, he's awesome. And I'll tell you one thing, it was, it was a whole lot easier having him um, on our side this year than, than going against him. 2019, when I was in Pittsfield, he pitched against us probably, I would say like five or six times every time we showed up there. I said, I said, damn, Andy, you got this guy going again? 
So it was, we faced Jack Fox in, in Westfield, struck out 200,000 guys that summer. So every time, every Friday, Saturday, we were facing Fox and Senecola. So from the side, I, you know, watching from the third base coach, I said, this guy's got a split. If you see the split rotation, nine times out of 10, it's a ball, don't swing. And then I realized that he's also throwing a breaking ball for a strike. He's also locating his fastball. So it's hard to lay off that winner. You're one, two, oh, two every time. And then when he gets the three, two, and you finally feel like you're in the driver's seat, he's not afraid to throw that split and you're already pot committed. You know what I mean? Cause you work so hard to get back to against a, you know, a top notch pitcher to get the three, two, you're ambushing fastball and he, and he drops split on you. And next thing you know, you're taking that, you know, 90 foot jog to first base. So he's, uh, he's good. I mean, and the best thing about him, honestly, is, is, is he was the first one, you know, on the top of the, of the, the dugout, you know, on the railing every game, really, you know, engaged, making sure, you know, he's taking care of our guys. I mean, he'd bring up all to umpires. He's the first one to pick up the pitcher when he got out of the game. So, I mean, unbelievable kid. And, and like Andy said, like he really – so Andy said to me about him, yeah, he's like he's our, my favorite arm on the team. He goes, I really enjoy watching him pitch. You know what I mean? So it's, it's almost like when I was a kid growing up, you get the – I mean, not to compare him to Pedro Martinez, but – you know I mean, when we were kids, I mean, when he was on TV, it was a must-watch game, no matter if it was, you know I mean, a Monday night or a Friday night. But when it was Cynical's day to throw, I mean, it was just – I mean, you could tell Andy was excited about it, and we kind of marked it down as a win. So when anything besides that, you know, it's a little disappointing. Yeah, quick note on Nick. I went to a lot of Brockton games this summer, and you just like you said, he was always the first one out of the dugout, high-fiving pitchers when they were coming off the mound. He was always the one giving the umps balls. So, yeah, that's definitely a great point about him. And uh, other Pittsfield sons that you got a chance to watch on the flip side and want to talk about getting a guy on your roster now, players from Pittsfield that you had to face who fared quite well in the Futures League want to talk guys like Mark Coley and Alex Price. What was it like getting a chance to catch up with them and watching them succeed this summer with other ball clubs? Yeah, I mean, the relationships you develop throughout the summer, you know, I mean, it's special when they continue and you kind of check in with guys and, you know, certain guys – you coach and, and you kind of, you don't talk as much, you know, throughout the course of the winter. And, but when you see them, you know, it's, it's always good when you're still excited to see each other. And, um, and then there's other guys you keep in contact with. So, you know, <clears throat> you develop all kinds of different relationships. So to kind of keep tabs on those guys and, and, and see them firsthand, you know, something special. I mean, Mark Coley was unbelievable for us in 2019. Another kid was an incredible kid, you know, broke his wrist in the year, which is unfortunate, but, you know, won the prospect award. You know, he's a kid who can do it all. And, and and never a problem with them, you know what I mean? Never late, you know, never ask on the lineup, you know what I mean? It, it, the communication was always there if, if there was something wrong. So, you know, I love that kid. I told him he could play for me any day. Um, and then even guys, you know, you mentioned Alex Price. We didn't face him, but, you know, I talked to him. He reached out to me about a kid, you know, a couple months ago. But just to have that relationship, you know, still where they're comfortable to do that. Um, there's a bunch of guys on that, on that Westfield team. You had uh, Andre Marrero. I think he had seven homers in, in the summer and six were against us. Um, so, I mean, he was, he's one of my favorite guys I've coached. He, he gets a little hot at times. Um, he's been known to, I mean, throw a helmet or, or, or break a bat here and there. And I told him, I don't love it, but like, if you're going to do it, you know, find a, find a place where, you know, you're not in visual range, but he's a kid that, you know, plays his tail off every day. You know I mean? I had so much confidence in that kid I, when I sent him to the, the futures league, play the USA all-star team or whatever it was in um, 2017, maybe. And he was probably hitting 220 for us, but his skills were, for for a guy his size, pound for pound. I mean, he was awesome. And he went to the game and, you know, he hit a three-run homer against a kid from um, Notre Dame. So it's just special. Like, you know, you look back at it and um, you had 
Chad Shade, Dion picked him up, you know, the week left just to kind of rub it in our face still. And, you know, it was good to get him out a couple of times. But, I mean, like you said, it's, I mean, a lot of guys out there, and it was definitely cool. You know I mean? We were starting calling the Westfield Suns for a little bit there. and then, uh, So, yeah, it's always good to see those guys. Yeah, that's great. Now, will you provide your team at Trinity a scouting report on Alex Price if you guys face off? He pitches you guys in a NESCAC play this spring? Yeah, I mean, of course. Just, you know, he'll <laughs> – Price is one of those guys that uh, – he goes one, two, three. He'll throw seven innings and eighty-five pitches, and you have no idea how how that just happened. You know, what I mean, the kids—he—he's his stuff is good. It's not elite, but his attitude and his ability to pitch is great. You know, what I mean, so he understands that like a two-one changeup is going to get a guy out, and before you know how you got out, you're out. If that makes sense, um, he's not a guy that's going to go you know two-zero and, and lay one over. And you know, he'll paint the corners and he'll he'll mix in and out. Um, so I guess I'm giving the skeleton report to the world right now, but, um, no, I mean, he's good. He was awesome. He, he took the ball, you know, every sixth or seventh day, went out there, competed. And, and, um, I think he's going to NECBL or he has a temp in the cave next summer, which, which is well-deserved by him. And then if not, I think he's going to go to NECBL, but yeah, but I mean, if it came down to it, I, I'm, I love the kid, but wins a win, right? You got to do what you got to do. Absolutely. Uh, so talking about Wakona for a little bit in 2019, the last season that you guys were in play, it's a historic ballpark. It turned hundred years old and it got to host the 2019 futures league all-star game. What was it like seeing that atmosphere and just seeing the crowds flock to Pittsfield to celebrate a town that's historically been a huge place for summer baseball and just baseball in general? Yeah, I mean, it was great. The history there at that park is, you know, it's incredible. I don't love the Sundays, but I know it's part of like the, the history of it uh, it's kind of a managerial nightmare when you're trying to figure out how long your pitcher's been sitting down for and you know sometimes it's 10 minutes and sometimes it's 45 so um I could live without that but I mean the way those fans are especially you know how they support the team you know it starts that day with honestly the, the parade um and that's a long day for the guys but you know get up at eight or nine o'clock and, and you work your way you know to a float sometimes you're 15th line and you're done in an hour sometimes you're 120th line um, and, you know, it takes, you know, three or four hours to get through, and it's 90 degrees out. But that city, if, if you show up to the game or, or, or you're able to stream the game, you appreciate what the fans do. But if you take the whole day and what, you know, 4th of July means to them and um, how they kind of show up from 8 a.m. till 10 p.m., you know, I mean, it's, it, it's pretty remarkable. And you can see it but based on a couple of, of the fans that ran on the field and took the bag, you know, he was battling for 14 hours that day and, you know, tip your cap to him, tip your cap to him there. But, um, no, I mean, the fans there are outstanding. You get the people who show up every night and then um, the people that get out to the park. So to kind of produce a, you know, a good display of baseball, it's keep them coming back. I mean, it would be great to, you know, to win a championship for that city because um, they've been great to us. And, and unfortunately we've fallen short a few times here. You just touched on them, those Sundays. Those things are weird. Talk about the worst Sunday or the weirdest Sunday you've ever experienced in Pittsfield. Oh, my God. I mean, every, there's times when the umpires can't get back in the locker room. Um, the, probably the weirdest one was we were playing uh, the Worcester Bravehearts in, you know, maybe 2017, and it was, it was a Sunday game. We started like four or five. So it was like the top of the ninth inning. It was like a 2-2 game. And then the the sun sun to lake, you know, they called it. JP Pine came out, all seven foot eight of them, lumbering across the field. He goes, he goes, what do we got here? Dust the lake? Because the home plate was all dusty, and 
and we were expecting some rain that day, so we didn't water. So he comes and he goes, well, we've got a dust delay here. But it was just, a, you know, the good old-fashioned ninth inning sun delay. Um, some of them, I mean, some of them are tough. That's the weirdest one. But some of them, will, you know, will creep in in the, in the second inning. And then there's a couple that are like 45 minutes, which, you know, it's a little extended. But I remember Jack Aaron, when he was with Nashua, he asked, he said he couldn't see the ball. And the umpire told him, like, uh, like too bad, keep going. And he's like, dude, I can't see. And I was like, I can see fine. He's like, yeah, but I can't see. So they're like, they're going back and forth. So finally Jack just walked up the field, which I was like, I mean, good for you at that point. I said, Owen might get, get us a little sun delay in his, in his morning window creeping in there. <laughs> yeah. It's nice out. It is nice. It's definitely a challenge trying to figure out these setups, especially at 930 in the morning as we're recording. So, you know, we make it work. We make it work. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about your background at school now, where you're at, at Trinity. So you're the assistant baseball coach there. You've been there for, I believe this is your sixth season that you're coming up into. Tell us about how you got involved with them and what your first five seasons have been like with the Bantams. Uh, I mean, it's been great. It's, you know, it's, it's comfortable there. You know, at some point, I, you know, I'd like to move on. But, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've grown close to, you know, Brian Adamski, who's the head coach there. And, um, now Jay Safarski is the is one of the assistants as well. Recruiting guy does a great job, so it's it's comfortable and we have a little unfinished biz. You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't feel right leaving at the moment. Where, you know, a couple of years ago we lost in the in the last game of the regionals to uh, to Babson, who has an outstanding program with Matt Noon and coaches uh, you know his son last summer, who, who's an awesome kid. Um, so in the past I've had you know I mean I've had a ton of of Babson guys. So you know I mean Mike Noki. I'll forget somebody because I'm horrible with name, but Valenti, uh, Henry League, Ryan Arena. I mean, the list goes goes on and on. And you know, I've really enjoyed having those guys, and they've been great. So to lose to them was tough, but to see the excitement with those guys, it, it was kind of special because I've coached them as well. But um, so, anyways, back to your original question. So I got released in 2015, maybe January, and I coached at you know a prep school in the area just to kind of try to get by. And I reached out to Tom Conley because uh, we went to UMass together and he was looking for an assistant at the time and um, for Pittsfield. So I went out there with him. Uh, I enjoyed it. He went back to Trinity because he was coaching there again, his, his masters. And they had a coach who took a full-time job at Gettysburg uh, almost like a month or two before the season started. So Adamski was looking for a, a head coach and, and Tom recommended me and Adamski was five years ahead of me at UMass, so we never really, you know, got to interact with each other. So finally I got there, and he gave me three strikes. You know, if I messed up, he wouldn't hire me back. And um, so I think I'm still working on those. But so year, year six we're heading into. But it's been a great group of guys. Uh, the kids we have there now are, are awesome kids. They're baseball guys that really give us everything they have and, um, you know, take care of business in the classroom, and, and, they're, and they're just good in the community. So it's a tough place to leave. I know eventually, you know, it's, I'm going to have to get out of being, you know, assistant um, in the role I'm in, in in college. But like I said, there's, it just doesn't feel right leaving at the moment. Before we return to our interview with Matt Gedman, once again, we wanted to give a big shout out and thanks to ChangeUp, one of the FCBL's cornerstone sponsors. ChangeUp is a cutting edge player centric pitch and performance management application by comprehensively and accurately tracking pitch activity and capturing critical in-game performance data, ChangeUp helps baseball coaches protect their pitchers from overuse and helps players reach their full potential safely. During the 2020 season, FCBL teams reap the benefits of the ChangeUp application, including the ability to keep college coaches informed on what and how their players are doing here in the FCBL. 
Coaches and parents at all levels, Little League, AAU, high school, and the collegiate level take notice. Changeup is a clear choice to ensure your pitchers aren't being thrown too much or too often and are getting proper rest. In addition, Changeup's analytics function helps coaches and players understand each pitcher's current performance thresholds and helps inform training protocols to get your players to the next level. The Futures League is bringing you tomorrow's baseball superstars today. Changeup is helping make sure those superstars travel safely and as far as possible on their personal baseball journeys. Are you ready to join the Changeup Revolution? For more information, visit Changeup's website, www.changeup.io. That's www.change-up.io. Changeup, every pitch counts. We now return to our interview with Matt Gedman. So how did you initially get into coaching and what made you want to coach? I don't know if I wanted to coach right away. I wasn't good enough to play anymore. So the next best, best option was like, it's like when you're when you're out in the backyard playing like wiffle ball as a kid and it gets dark, you have no lights. It's not that you don't want to keep playing. Now you go play video games instead because, you know, you can. So, I mean, in all honesty, I, I think the things I learned as I got older, I wish I, lo- I wish I learned those lessons when I was younger. You know what I mean? So like people say it all the time, it, it, it's almost like when someone tells you, you know, when you're in high school and, and they have like the alumni dinner or the alumni game or, or in college and people come in, they say it goes by so fast and, and you hear it, but everyone says that, you know what I mean? So you don't really understand what they mean by that. So for me, it was like, so just try, trying to develop relationships that I've had some great coaches throughout my life and I've had some, you know, that I didn't love, but it, it, it's all part of it. I mean, everyone's had that. So for me to try to be one of those guys that guys can ask questions to and, you know, I mean, and rely on. So, that's kind of why I got into it was the relationship aspect of it and, and, and kind of being a teacher where, where I'm not like a, I don't know anything about like history and, and geography and, and social studies. So it was like, for me, it's like baseball and I want to get back to those guys. And I mean, I'm sure at some point I'll get out of it, but I mean, I really love doing it. You touched on your playing days a little bit. You played baseball and hockey at UMass Amherst where I'm currently enrolled in college. So go UMass. Oh, yeah. You led the Atlantic 10 batting average of 402 in 2011. What did you take away from your college experience there? Well, my 402 batting average was probably my same as my practice save percentage for the hockey team. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, great relationships, you know, I built there. And, and it was kind of, I mean, at first trying to do both, it was it was more of, it was hard. It was uh, it was a lot, you know what I mean, in terms of trying to get academics done and doing baseball and hockey, making both lifts. And even in the, in the fall, we had, you know, baseball practice was my priority because, you know, I went there for baseball originally. But then trying to stay ahead like on par with things without getting behind which I always felt like I did I guess you know what I mean so eventually after two years or a year and a half or two years whatever you want to say it's you know I stuck with baseball and it, I kind of was able to develop more as a baseball player and, and focus on that and and in the winter you know hit five or six days a week versus you know going to five or six days hockey practice and um, trying to sneak in on a Sunday morning you know and hit in, in, in the gym boy and gym there so it was tough time management. I mean, I thought I could do it. And it's, it's one of those things, you, like you, like we were talking about, I wish I would have known this earlier. I mean, in a D3 setting, I, I see like the possibility of being able to do hockey and baseball. But for that level, try to be good at both was almost impossible. So, But I loved it there. I mean, one of the hardest things I had to do was, was, was to quit hockey because, of, like I said, the relationships you build with those guys, it's, I mean, I feel like I was letting them down by, just, by leaving, even though I wasn't like a, a good player on the hockey team. You know, I made that commitment to them, and, and I kind of felt like I wasn't finishing you know, the story with them. So 
that was the hardest part for me. But I mean, I loved it. UMass was, it was a great place, you know, education, the sport management program there was, I mean, every, everyone was good to me there. So I enjoyed it. You mentioned it, you didn't start, but how did you feel stepping up in the footsteps of Jonathan Quick? You know, you got Jonathan Quick, Matt Gedman, both UMass hockey legends. What was that connection there? Oh, I mean, I think the only thing I took from Jonathan Quick was his locker when he left. Um, <laughs> because, uh, I, didn't, I didn't fill up too much. But I also have a higher save percentage than him in UMass history. I think I'm three for three. He was, I mean, about 10,000 for, you know, 10,200. So tough to be Jonathan Quick, you know. Um, no, I mean, I used to watch that kid when he was at Avon, you know, I mean, go out to the New England Championship games, and, and he, he's always been special. So I think he kind of started to build that program back up in terms of the name, and he went on to win, you know, a couple Stanley Cups and an Olympic medal, gold medal, I believe. So I met him a couple times, um, and nothing but positive things to say about him, and, and he's obviously had a great career for himself. And But, yeah, he, he, was, he was a pretty special guy to, you know, to watch on the ice. I'm sure. Uh, now let's talk about your own professional career a little bit. So you got drafted by Boston in 2011. You played with the Lowell Spinners for a couple seasons, and you were a member of the Salem Red Sox when you guys won the Carolina League Championship. Talk us about the minor league grind, when you kind of knew your playing days were over, and, you know, just in a nutshell, what those days were like for you. Yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, it was like it was like going to college without having classes. You know, what I mean, like you had to take care of your lifts, you, but instead of going to class, you got to go to the, the cage. You got to take extra ground balls. Bus rides were tough, but it, I mean, it's it's no different than the future league. Except like we, you know, I mean, we had six to eight hour bus rides, but we stayed there for three or four days and went to a different city um, and came back home. So I would say it's similar to there or the grind of it that you were asking is, is similar to the future league. I tell the, the position guys it's different for pitchers because those guys aren't used to throwing a certain amount of innings, right? So they panic with all the injuries that go on nowadays. And I got to my like, limit or whatever it is, 50, 75, 100, and I'm done for the year. But I tell the, the position guys, if you're serious about, you know, continue to play pro ball, or pro ball you're going to go to spring training early. You're going to do all your work. You're going to play 15 to 20 spring training games, if not more. Then you're going to play 140-game minor league schedule. I mean, and then if you're a top prospect, you're going to go to instructs and play another 30 or 40. So the, the 56 game grind, the grind of the futures league for position guys, you know what I mean? You're going to be doing that from, from February to September if that's what you want to do. So for them, it shouldn't be a grind. Or it, if it is a grind, they should embrace it. Um, and then pitchers are just a little different story because um, they panic when some of them, when they get to, other guys will be like, I'll throw 200 innings. But, you know what I mean, based on what we've been taught, you know, a guy gets to 75 and he's done. Or he gets to 100 and he's shut down for the fall. So um, I understand where they're coming from in, in that aspect. But, but to, I mean, to continue on with, like, 2013 was, I guess, my favorite year for minor league baseball. We had a group of guys that similar to me, late-round draft picks. Um, we had a kid from Towson, Nick Natoli, still one of my best friends to this day. He was an un undrafted free agent who, who won – he was a two-time defensive player of the year. But, I mean, he would tell you – he'd be the first to tell you he couldn't hit a lick. So he hit 200 and make all the plays. My buddy Dave Chester, he went to Pitt. He's big Oklahoma boy, 6'7", you know, 270. So we had a lot of older guys. And then we had the young kids who didn't know any better, um, who just worked hard and, and, and were really, really talented and, and awesome kids. Mookie Betts, Blake Swihart, you know, Henry Owens, Brian Johnson. Those guys were, for being the prospects they were, they were, they were humbled. You know, they were, they were leaders. They were awesome kids. And they wanted to win, which is weird for – you know, I mean, a minor league team, a lot of people at the end of the year, it's like, oh, we got, I want to go home. It's been a long summer. I mean, it's individual sport in the minor leagues where it's, 
you know, I mean, if I hit 150 and we won a championship, like I'm probably going to get released. If I hit 330 and we go, you know, 10 and 100, I'm probably going to move up. So for those guys to I mean, so so selfless and, and, and want to win for older guys like us who, who knew we probably wouldn't have a chance to, you know, win two or three MLB championships like Mookie Betts has done. So I think that's where he kind of gets his his mindset from. It started like when he was 20 years old, he didn't know better and, and he wanted to win more than anybody. So it's not a fluke that that kid's been as successful as he's been. I didn't know he'd be this good, but I mean, he's unbelievable. So, uh, but he's always been special um, and it's been kind of cool to be able to follow him from a distance. I got to ask, because this is probably the main thing I've tweeted over the last year, but what, what was your reaction to the Mookie Betts trade? I was disappointed just as for like, like selfish reasons. I, I, you know, I mean, he's one of the top five, if not top three, if not best player in, in major league baseball. So um, to lose him on a team that, you know, I mean, I've been ruined for my, my whole life is it's tough, but for him, I was very happy. I, I know it's hard to, for him to make that decision and for his family. And, and I'm glad that he could find a place where he can kind of, you know, live out his, he signed the, I mean, a mega deal, 10 or 12 or 13 years, whatever it was. But so, I mean, he has a little daughter now. So for him and his wife to have a place that they know is home for the next, you know, 12, 13, 15, maybe forever, if they don't move back to Nashville after, but for him to be comfortable and obviously he's, he's very comfortable now, but for him to be comfortable and just kind of relax and just be able to showcase himself and, and not have to worry about where he's going to be at, I was really happy for him for that. So obviously it worked out for him. They won a championship and now the Red Sox are kind of trying to, you know, reboot and rebuild and, 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 and they'll be fine as well. So I think in the end it'll work out for everybody. But obviously it's disappointing when you see someone you root, you know, so hard for and you can't watch them all the time anymore. So, but, but for him, it's, you know, it's outstanding. So kind of going back to hockey a little bit, you talked about balancing your playing career in both hockey and baseball. What about your coaching career? What is it like balancing both the hockey and baseball seasons as you are the goaltender coach for Trinity College? Honestly, coaching both sports has been awesome because in the NESCAC, I mean, that's a great question. Um, I'll get to the tough part about it in a second, but I mean, coaching the NESCAC where you, if it's pre-COVID, you know, I mean, back in, in the old days, um, we didn't really have fall baseball. I mean, the kids were able to, to do stuff. We had our camps and stuff like that, but baseball didn't really start until February, you know, 15th. So for me, it was like finding other jobs in the winter. I mean, places where you sell Christmas trees, you know, time people's car and, you know, I mean, simple, just manual labor stuff where it was like, I couldn't make a commitment to work at a company when I know I'm not, you know, leaving in, in February and then have all summer and, you know, in the futures league. So, so I guess a, a simpler answer is, it was, it was great that the head coach and the assistant coaches for the Hawk team were, are awesome guys. You know, I mean, I've become really close with them. And I, I love, like, the environment of, like, the hockey atmosphere. Um, the practices are, you know, hour, hour and a half. You have meetings on power plays and penalty kills. And you watch film on the other team's, you know, breakouts and, and forechecks and stuff like that. And it's really enjoyable. And you get to the game, um, you know, you have to put a little, you know, suit on and, and do your thing. And, and, and hang out and it's it, it's special and I enjoyed I enjoyed a lot it became difficult for me when on February 15th when our hockey team who at the time was you know number two or three in the country you know we were having a, a great year and then baseball who just came off you know a regional heartbreak in the final game to Babson we're starting up and now it's like well these days I'll be at hockey and, and these days I'll be at baseball and it was similar to what I was talking about when I was playing. It was like, I feel like I'm letting somebody down by not being there. But in reality, like I'm always somewhere. 
You know what I mean? Like when I'm here, you have all of me, but I can't be here all the time because it's not fair for the commitment I made. And then for hockey, we're playing the NESCAC championship game. And, and on the same day for baseball, we're playing Southern Maine, you know, who's number six and seven in the country. And, you know, I mean, I made the decision to go with the hockey team because, I mean, I started that process with them and it's not fair. Even like, the, like I don't do much in terms of like helping the team win or lose, but just in terms of, you know, a daily routine, daily preparation, you know, I talk to the goalies. I'm not going to change the outcome of the game in any way, but it's not fair for me to, you know, if someone has a question for me not to be there to change a routine. I mean, it'd be like if you're every day you're used to waking up and, you know, putting your shoes on and doing it and just, it's, it's, it's different. It wasn't fair. So, I mean, I'm watching the game on my phone a little bit and, and the baseball team, you know, beat Southern Maine, you know, seven, two or, or whatever it was five, one pretty handily. And it's a special win for the program, but I'm feeling bad because we lost the NESCAC championship game for hockey. So that's the hardest part is when they start to overlap because I don't, I always feel like the bad guy in a way, which I think they understand. But for me, it's like somebody always thinks like, I don't, I don't like it. It's like my girlfriend watches like the bachelorette. You know what I mean? One guy goes on a date, takes another guy on a date. I mean, everyone saying they love each other, going to the boom, boom room and doing their thing. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like you just feel like you're constantly letting somebody down, which, which that's the hardest part. Well, seems like, you know, at least with the shortened season, it didn't affect it too much, but we'll see how that plays out next year. But I can imagine it's tough, especially with the success that both of those programs have been having in the last couple of years. So, you know, credit to you for that. Now, follow up in regards to hockey. So Evan Morehouse, the GM of the Westfield Starfires, he played goalie for Westfield State, and he serves as Brown's athletic director for men's and women's hockey. Are you the best goalie in the FCBL? I haven't seen him play. I don't know. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. So if we go there, they'll take care of me post game. So yeah, Evan, Evan's the best goalie in the future league. Well, uh, you guys are close enough. We'll figure, we'll figure out a setup to get some nets in there and try to record something and put your guys' yeah. skills to the test. That'd be a good podcast. It's like the Barstool guys doing the. Exactly. The like get Kevin Hayes there shooting on Dave Portnoy. It'd be like us on Matt Gedman kind of. Perfect. Sort of. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Sweet. Now, I got to ask, so your dad, Rich Gedman, he played professionally in the majors for 12 seasons, caught for guys like Roger Clemens, Tom Seaver, you know, you name it. He was also behind the dish for the infamous Bill Buckner play. What has he told you about that 1986 season with the Red Sox and more broadly his career in the majors? Um, I mean, we don't really talk about like that series too much, I guess. But, um, you know, whenever it comes up, it's it's – how special that group of guys were to get to that point where, you know, I mean, they were an hour away from winning the world series. I think it kind of gets lost in, in translation when highlights go over and over of, I mean, the play between the legs and then losing, you know, game seven after that. And it kind of gets lost that they came back from three, one to, you know, the angels and the, and the ALCS and they had an incredible year, the way it ended, you know, I mean, I'm sure it hurts and still hurts to this day. Cause we, like I said, we don't really, it's not one of our topics like the dinner table, but I think when you look back over time and some guys from that team, you know, have passed away since then. So it's, it's more real in terms of how great a group of guys that was and for them to be able to get to that point where they're one out away from ending, you know, an 80 year drought for, with the Red Sox or whatever it may be. So, um, but I mean, he had, he had, a, he had a nice career and, and we, you know, I mean, as I get older and realize how difficult the sport is and, and how hard it was for me, I mean, I got to, you know, high A for two seasons and, and for me, that was, that was difficult. So to appreciate the career he had and, um, you know, I mean, that's the, the, the coolest thing for me is to, the relationship we have now is it, it's not a, 
he was a big leaguer. I was this, you know, I mean, it's baseball. I mean, we have that. It's baseball. It's family, and it's um, it's simple stuff. So, so to answer your question, to go back to it, I guess I guess not a, a, a ton to discuss. But I've seen the clip. You know, I mean, I've seen it plenty of times. It hurts me, and I wasn't even part of it. So I can only imagine, um, you know, what it's like for him. But uh, I think in hindsight, when you look at the big picture, it's it was really a special team. It just didn't end the, in a special way. Yeah, definitely a special team and a, and a tough ending. But, you know, as you just said, we know more than anybody that baseball brings people together. So that's that's some great tidbits right there from the 1986 Red Sox. And then before we hit quick hits, do you have a message to the fans as we head closer and closer to 2021? I mean, just – I mean, thank you all for, you know, coming out and supporting us and continuing to be loyal and, and you know, I mean, making this year special. I know um, in Brockton we started off with – no fans, but, you know, manipulated into like a beer garden. And, you know, I mean, the place was filled with, you know, 300, 500 people, which was great. Westfield had a couple of fans and um, North Shore was allowed a couple, but uh, for the most part, it was tough. I mean, Westfield or Worcester, the way they did it at, at Beautiful Doyle was, you know, I mean, like they had people there that were fans that couldn't pay admissions, but um, made, made donations that they didn't have to do, but they did. Um, I mean, they bought um, food and beverage and then we go to New Britain and almost felt like it was normal again. I mean, they had, 1200 people there and um, spread out. So it was, I mean, thank them. I mean, thank the fans and, and I mean, looking forward to like people at Pittsfield be able to come back and, and hopefully I don't know what the restrictions will be this summer in terms of seating, but um, looking forward to it and, and just appreciate, you know, the support that we've been given throughout the league. Nashville too was awesome this summer. Yeah, it certainly was. It was awesome getting to be there for the championship series and watch it unfold. So, Matt, this has been awesome so far. We got one final segment for you. It's called Quick Hits, presented by Zephyr, the official on-field hat of the Futures League. Zephyr, high-quality and innovative design since 1993. So we got a couple more questions for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. Is that cool? Let's do it. All right, sweet. Favorite player you've coached in the Futures League? Oh, that's hard. You can list a couple if that's easier, too. I'm going to say Thomas Hughes just because the relationship we continue to have. And, you know, I mean, it's to pure level. I didn't take a job that he thought I should have, and he got mad at me. You know what I mean? I'm like, what are you mad at me for? Was, you know, I, I, I had you for three years. But, I mean, he's honest with me. Um, he's, he's wise beyond his years. When I had him, he was a player coach. I mean, there's a lot of guys. I'm not going to start naming off other guys because I'll, I'm sure I'll believe I won, but just the relationship I had with his family and him and then having his younger brothers come up, I'd say Thomas Hughes. Okay, I like it. How about a favorite ballpark that you've either attended as a fan or played in over your career? My favorite ballpark I've played in is probably Staten Island Yankees. Um, they have the, the river, whatever river that is, over left field. I mean, the stadium is beautiful. You walk in, it feels like you're at Yankee Stadium underneath with the locker rooms and, and the security taking you in. And then you get up and you kind of, from like the dugout or above the dugout, is the entire skyline of, of New York City. Um, so if you get a chance to, you know, Google that field and what it looks like, and it's unfortunate with the, you know, New York Penn League probably not being a thing, it's that they're going to lose that. I'm sure they'll have somebody play there, but I mean, that was an incredible place to play. As a fan, um, I mean, Fenway is obviously Fenway, but I mean, to throw it for a loop a little bit, the Hartford Guard Goat Stadium is awesome. You know, so double A for, I think it's the Rockies down there. It's five minutes from you know, my house down in, in Hartford. And, to go out there, they have a big, you know, big deck in right field. It's brand new ballpark, Dunkin' Donuts Park. You know, you can sit there, have a beverage of your choice, watch the game. And it's usually in April, May when it's kind of 60, 65. And it's, I mean, it's just a nice place to go and uh, watch a ball game. 
I'm about 20 minutes north of Hartford and Dunkin' Donuts Park's about as good as it gets. And I'm sure you're familiar with those 22-ounce uh, beer bats they have. Yeah, I've seen a couple <laughs> people having one or two before. Okay, that's fair. Same here. How about, a baseball st- <laughs> how about a baseball stadium or a sporting event on your bucket list that you haven't been to yet? Oh, I would like to, to go to the College World Series sometime. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about that. I've never been there. I mean, nothing crazy. I've been to a lot of places, but I mean, like the Little League World Series, I think would be cool. But the idea of like being surrounded by like 15,000 people to watch a Little League game is a little overwhelming. Um, but I, I would like to go to the College World Series or, or something like that. But one thing I'll say, a sporting event that's not baseball, but I would like to go like a like a March Madness opening round. You know what I mean? When they have the games at, you know, 12, 3, and they go get lunch or something, you come back for the 7 and, and 9.30. And they had that at the XL Center in Hartford two years ago, but we were on our spring trip. So, um, But I think that would be, be pretty cool. Yeah, I was there to watch John Moran drop a triple-double. It was pretty cool. Yeah. It was pretty cool, but definitely an awesome event. Um, how about walk-up music, whether it was during your playing career or something that you'd put on if you were walking up to the dish today? Mark Morrison, the return of the Mac, was my one in college. You know, I like that. Now that I'm an old fat guy, you know, it'd be probably something, you know, a little slower, but. Um, yeah, Return of the Mac was in college. I haven't had a chance. You know how guys get, they, you know, they sit down and, and they run through the entire, uh, you know, Spotify be- before they choose one. So it was either someone like I knew or had a relationship, you know, to, or, you know, something I kind of stuck with for a while. I had, had uh, when I was in Salem for a couple months, I had Taylor Swift 22 because I lost a bet to somebody about, um, I forget what it was over, but the loser had to come up to a Taylor Swift song of their choice. And I was, I had a, like a good run. I was like a 10 for 17. So I let it ride. And then after like a one for 20, I, I, I let it go. Well, that's not the worst punishment out there. I mean, come on. I know, I know Owen's a big Taylor Swift guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. okay. No, no disrespect to, to T-Swift. How about a favorite big league team and player, whether it's current or historical? I mean, obviously Red Sox fan. Um, you know, my dad still works for them. I got the opportunity, you know, it's been, you know, four or five years with them. Um, grew up watching them. So it's definitely the Red Sox. The team I like to watch now is I like the Blue Jays a lot. Just they got you know they got the Biggio, they got Bichette, they got Guerrero. I know there's talks about George Springer with the Mets or the Blue Jays or wherever he may go, but they're a like young, exciting team. So I like watching them. It's kind of cool. They're you know they're in the same division, but uh, and then Mookie Betts just he's a special kid. The coolest thing about watching him now is so when we were you know in high A or, or starting in Lowell together, when you could see what the kid could do on certain things, like your eyes would open. And then there's like no way he can do that again. He does does it again, and then he goes to the big leagues. And the Red Sox guys kind of have the same reaction, you know, us minor leaguers did when like this guy's really that good. And you know, he throws somebody out from the wall, or you know, I mean, some of the throws he's made, some of the at bats he had the, the grand slam against you know Jay Happ, and just to see like the reaction. You now he goes to the Dodgers and he's doing crazy stuff over there, and like guys like uh, you know Turner and. And Peterson, and all, I mean, all those guys are having the same reactions when they look at him that we did back in 2012 or 13. And we're like, it's just crazy. I mean, what he's able to do on a day-to-day basis. He's a freak athlete. If you watch his videos, bowling or playing basketball or golf, and now he picked up. And um, so definitely him. I mean, I mean, he's a no-brainer. Yeah, I don't. I couldn't imagine trading that guy. That that would just be that would be a tough decision for. <laughs> that's for another day. <laughs> um, moving on, how about a baseball nickname that you were given over the years or that you were, I don't know, given recently? Oh, <sighs> maybe uh, Chet Stedman. 
I got that a couple times from uh, Matt Gedman. Chet Stedman was the pitcher and uh, was a rookie of the year. Henry Roengarner comes in, and they got the old ace, which, I mean, I don't, I don't understand the reference, but it kind of it stuck for a little bit. Um, the college guys, once in a while, they call me Chet. So a couple of my buddies to this day, you know, we go out and do something. Like, hey, where's Chet coming? So I guess, I mean, that would be it, but nothing exciting. But if you get it, you get it, you know. And that's a pretty exciting one. Yeah. Are you superstitious at all? Not really. Uh, maybe more like OCD than like superstition. But like, it's not like I have to like write the lineup with a certain thing. It's usually like we're on the bus and I'll give it to like Shalakis like to write it. Um, you know what I mean? Like I, I tell him, trying to groom him into becoming, you know, manager, which, which he's going to do one day. He, he, he's an awesome baseball guy. I haven't talked enough about Brandon, but just a special dude. And, um, but I, I tell him, you got to fill up this lineup card. You got to, Mound meeting once in a while, or not mound meeting, but home plate meeting once in a while. Um, if I don't really want to talk to the, the umpire that day, or so I'm grooming him, grooming him to become a manager, which he's going to become. But writing those lineup cards is is a pain in the ass. But um, not the big one, you know, the little one where you got to include eighteen thousand subs that you have with you that day. Um, but not not very superstitious. Yeah, and never a little OCD never hurt anybody. <laughs> Or or it does. It you know depends on how you look at it. I only turn the sink on and off like eight times before I'm done washing. You know, so I'm fine. Time my shoes twelve times. I'm just kidding. Only twelve. Only twelve. Yeah, just twelve. And then uh, how about bubble gum or sunflower seeds? Probably bubble gum. I mean, we play on turf at school, so the habit. Also, Bilter Lucky yelled at me a couple times when our guys would chew seeds. So I have better memories with bubble gum than I guess sunflower seeds. So bubble gum. Interesting. Gum gum takes a win here. Spend seats for a little bit. I'd say dip, but I think it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> and then how about favorite ballpark food and ballpark beer? Oh, ballpark food and ballpark beer. I'm a simple simple guy, I guess. Uh, at the ballpark, if it's if it's hot out, um, there's nothing better than like going to a game. I mean, the afternoon when it's like you know 75, 80. Those those midweek games, you know, sometimes they get the getaway day. So I'd say I mean, you don't want to be slugging down like a – they're good, but the Westfield Starfire IPA, like not a 90-degree day, it, it doesn't really fly. So I would say like a, like a Bud Light and, and like a sausage or, or a hot dog, something like that. I'm not going to get nachos where it's, it ends up all over my shirt or pizza. One, you're one bite away from, you know, ruining your day. But So maybe, maybe you know, sausage, pepper, onion, you know, no ketchup and, you know, a little tall Bud Lights in the bleachers. That's a classic, classic ballpark meal right there. I got to love yeah. it. Simple. And then finally, how about a favorite all-time baseball memory? All-time baseball memory. Uh, a lot of memories. Um, oh, I mean, winning the championship in 2013 was special. I didn't play in the final game with – I busted on my finger a couple of days before. But, um, you know, that group in terms of, like, the semifinals getting there, you know, being a part of, of it. And that was special. I mean – you know, playing with my brother in college for a few years. You know, we went on a run in the A-10 tournament my sophomore year. Those are some good memories. Uh, Legion ball, we lost to uh, – I played for Framingham. We lost in the final game to Milton. They ended up having two kids who played in the big leagues with Alex Hassan and uh, Matt Duffy, who was like their seven hitter somehow. Then he led like the Pacific League in hitting one year. He was awesome. Um, you know, Trinity, you know, being there. I mean, there's so many baseball memories. I don't have a specific one. You know, never won a national championship. I mean, won a few along the way in terms of high school and, and college summer ball, but 
um, I guess the 2013, just a group of guys and, you know, kind of being a part of you. Oh, you play with Mookie Betts? I'm like, yeah, he was way better than me. And he was eight years younger than me. But, you know what I mean? So I guess that would be it. But there's a lot of them out there. Perhaps your favorite all-time baseball memory is still to come. Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> Bringing a championship home to Pittsfield. So he needs it. Who knows? All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. This was our 30th episode overall and our first with a member of the Pittsfield Suns. So thank you so much for joining us. And we're so excited to see Pittsfield back in action at Wakona Park this summer. Yeah, Matt Owen, thanks for having me, guys. Um, it was great. You guys did a great job. So um, I've enjoyed following you. Keep up the good work. And, and you know, I'll see you guys down the road. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate the kind words. So this has been episode three of season two of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. We have new episodes coming out every Monday. Make sure to subscribe. We're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon.